0: Thanks for joining us for our latest 30 for Net 030 episode. Today, I am thrilled to be joined by Lord Deben, who is the chairman of Sandcroft, an international sustainability consultancy who works with leading companies around the world on environmental, ethical, and social impact issues. Lord Deben is also the chair of the UK's Committee on Climate Change, and prior to this served for 16 years as a British minister for the UK government, where he was once noted as, quote, the best environment secretary they ever had, unquote. Lord Deben, thank you so much for joining us today. Perhaps you could give us a quick introduction to yourself.
1: Well, I spend my working hours um, running a business called Sankroft, and we help people with all sorts of uh, uh, concerns uh, of sustainability. So we do things like uh, helping with modern slavery, uh, dealing with the issues of the supply chain, ensuring that people use as little water and uh Um, uh, energy as they can and working very hard to see that we protect the biodiversity, the soil um, uh, fertility uh, that that we have. So it's a fascinating job. And then my public job is to chair the Climate Change Committee, which is the independent advisor to the government, which sets the targets and the budgets which Britain has to meet in order to get to net zero, which is now a legal necessity. So we have just published our sixth carbon budget, which takes us to the end of the 2030s. And um, the government has now said that it will accept it in its entirety so we will be getting in britain to something like a 78 percent reduction in our uh, emissions on 1990 by the end of uh, the 2030s
0: yes some excellent news coming out on that front i think you know your work and the committee's work around that has really put the uk at the forefront of this conversation certainly from a governmental perspective um can you tell us you've been doing this for a very long time can you tell us have you seen any shifts sort of in the last kind of eight, 18 months to two years and if so what what shifts do you think you're seeing uh in the wider uh conversation around sustainability
1: well i think there have been two major shifts one is really caused by covid uh, pandemics don't actually change things they speed things up so What was happening already, what COVID has done, is to move a whole series of things and make them more urgent and immediate. And I think that's very important because it means that people who always had pandemics on their uh, risk list, companies who had that and climate change on their risk list would pass over those pretty quickly and get to the immediate risks as they saw them, the things around the corner. What COVID has done is to make people realise that these, what seem to be long-term risks, turn out to be really very, very direct and make huge differences. And therefore, they've begun to take seriously climate change as an immediate and urgent uh, area for action, which they hadn't done before. And I think at the same time, because so many people have been locked up at home, so to speak, They've also become much more aware of the dangers that we have uh, really made widespread to biodiversity, to the countryside, to uh, the natural world. And so the other big change in that first one is that people are now thinking of these things in a much more coherent, much more holistic way. But the biggest result has been specifically um, on the financial world. Whereas 18 months ago in Sandcroft, if I wanted to get a company uh, which was going to invest in other companies, if I'm going to get them to understand that sustainability was a crucial part of uh, the way in which they did due diligence, It took a long time, you had to bang on the door, you had to talk to a lot of people, you gradually got them round and in the end, they would understand. Now they come to us. It's quite noticeable. And the reason for that is that their supply chains have been so much interrupted by uh, COVID. They've begun to realize that companies that don't think about these things in advance are more likely to find themselves into real difficulties. And they've also understood that this is quite a complex matter. So I give a simple example. Um, We had one particular company which prided itself on the fact that it, uh, it was in the clothing industry and that it had made sure that its, uh, its products were produced in six or seven different countries so that it wouldn't be affected by any kind of internal turbulence or the like. What they hadn't noticed was that all the cloth itself to those six or seven countries all came from the same country. So at the beginning of Covid, they were not for six because there was no cloth. And uh, that's what they began to see, that uh, the supply chain wasn't just about the people you knew, but it's the people the people you knew knew. It's the whole line to third and fourth and fifth uh, groups which are supplying uh, companies. It was a company that could do everything except it found it couldn't actually stick its packaging together. Because he hadn't worked out that the glue for the packaging came from a country which had a revolution. Now you you do have to see a huge change in that. People have understood that this is not only an absolute necessity for the financial world, but it is much more complicated than they thought.
0: That's fascinating. And, and I think, you know, when people talk about scope three, for example, which is an, an expression that, you know, most people didn't understand what that meant, you know, 18 months ago. I think you really get to the heart of how much you have to think about your entire chain. And, and I, I really like the example of the glue. That's, good. <laughs> That's a good example of, of, of not having focus on all the areas. You've done so much different actions over the years. Um, but now where we are standing right now, is is there any specific actions that... You think need to be taken now in the next kind of two to three years to really be able to deliver in 2030 and 2040 and 2050. I mean, obviously, the the fantastic work around getting the UK to sign into really um, robust targets is 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 one step. But is there anything you wanted to share on that?
1: Well, yes, I think that, I think the fundamental thing is action. I mean, I think we've now won the battle of uh, understanding. I think we've even won the battle of uh, people realising that we have to do something now that it's urgent, that you can't put it off. But the trouble is um, the gap between policy and delivery is very considerable. And this is not just about uh, climate change. Uh, nor just about particular sorts of government. The fact is that all governments from left and right and centre um, and almost on every subject, the problem they always have is delivery. I mean, I remember a comment by Tony Blair when he said, when he won his second election, he said, this time we will remember that we were wrong when we started, when we thought that what when we said something, it would happen it doesn't you have to make it happen and it's that delivery that is the thing that we'll be pushing on the british government and it's the thing that uh, the united states will have to see as it thank goodness has rejoined the world under Joe Biden. But of course, because he will have to use executive action in a way which uh, we don't have in this country, it'll be more difficult, it'll be easier for him to actually get the action working. But it's still true that what I really want in the next two years is to sh- to ensure that nations having signed up as they have so widely to net zero, get on with it and get on with it effectively and admit that sometimes they get it wrong. And that means you stop doing that and you start doing something else. The other thing they have to accept is that if you have started down one route and you think of a better one and the route that you're going down is going to work, but is not perfect, stick with the one you're in because there is nothing so bad as making the investors feel that they aren't certain and we need in order to meet our climate change requirements the net zero we we need to spend just a little under the one percent of our gross national product in britain uh, every year until 2050 now actually it'll fall away actually i think it'll end up by being cheaper than that but most of that money is coming from the private sector it's all there It'll all come, but only if the government ensures that the private sector feels safe in investment. And therefore, you really do need not to change your policies uh, all the time. You need to have permanent, long-standing policies. And if they're not quite as perfect as you learn in hindsight, then stick with them rather than uh, upset the market.
0: Certainty in the market is definitely something that people will respond to. Um, and, and having those guideposts. Can I take a step back maybe and 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 ask you just on a personal level, are there any commitments that you're making? And maybe that's just to continue the good work that you're doing in your consultancy and and, and in all of your other efforts.
1: Well, I shall certainly continue doing that. And I have no intention of retiring. It seems to me this is a battle which we have to fight. and um, Given that we've caused much of the trouble in our lifetime, it's our job to put it right as much for our children and grandchildren i have quite a lot of those so i'm looking forward to going on doing that but i suppose we've done two things uh, in particular well three things really first of all we've um, we've got rid of our oil heating we live in a house which isn't very suitable for um uh, uh, modern heating systems but we've installed um uh, uh, an air source heat pump uh, we we're running that with gas at the moment but it will be with biogas which is the only way we can do it in this Long uh, listed uh, Victorian Gothic house we live in. Um, we've um, we've just agreed to change the um, sewage system, which enables us to replace the uh, the Victorian system for what you might call lavatorial sewage. But all the water from the roof, from the back of the house, will now go into the old system, which we'll be able to pump for the garden and the farm. And we've already got that in the front of the house um there's a very good victorian um, place which takes all the water underground and we're fitting uh proper pumping from that so that we can use that for the front part of the garden and um next uh well in about a fortnight's time i take delivery of uh, my first electric car so i replace the uh, a hybrid that i have at the moment with a fully electric car so i'm doing my best
0: <laughs> wow you're pretty impressive i think that sets the bar pretty high for everybody else especially in the uk this question about you know domestic heating is is, is massive how do you how do you transform that system um yeah. as well as transform you know where the energy is sourced from and, and i don't think that gets as much airtime really and then you touch on you know two more areas that people have also you know spend less time on water usage which is really going to be an interesting one going forward um in transport so you, you you have managed to hit all of the uh, main main issues on the head there
1: <laughs> well you should try to walk the walk if you're going to do the talk and that's uh, that's very important i think anyway it's very interesting um and uh it does teach us a lot. You see, if you do it, you you realize that it's very easy to buy an electric car. I mean, you have to have the money and you all that and and sell the other car and do all those things, but but it, it you you get in touch with the you look at the cars and you get in touch with the company whose car you want to buy, and they have a system being able to sell it to you, and they want to sell it to you. You try trying to get a an air source heat pump. It's a business which has no idea how to sell anything. I mean, I do say that I'm privileged because doing the work that I do do, I know people to talk to and know how to find the place to go. But it still took me an enormous amount of effort. One really did have to be dedicated to do what we needed to do. And I think this is the fundamental issue. And oddly enough, people always talk about the money. And of course, the money is true. I mean, I'm fortunate enough to be able to afford it to do these things. But the fact of the matter is, I also had to have the energy and the and the determination. And that shouldn't be so. It should be possible, particularly if you don't have the complication of a listed building and all the rest of that. But it should be possible that if you live in a in a normal house on an estate or semi-detached or whatever, it ought to be po- possible for you to telephone phone a number and say I want to have the best system to reduce my emissions as much as possible what do you suggest and then you should be able to buy it like you buy a car
0: definitely I guess that leads to the last point that we have time for today if you could get you know someone listening to to take one action what would that be what would that look like
1: well I think it's not so much an action as an attitude I think what we have got to be is asking our the question what will this do for sustainability what will this action do for the climate um i'm very keen on the uh, pope's encyclical laudato si which i think is the best introduction to climate change that exists he wrote it six years ago it is very much one of the pieces of work which has changed people's minds And and one of the key understandings there, which I don't think anyone else has really brought out, is that um, climate change is the the symptom of what we have done to the world. It's not the disease, it's the symptom. And and it's the symptom by which the planet is crying out for us to cure the disease. And therefore, I just think that The way anybody listening to this can really make a difference is just to ask themselves the question in every decision that they make. What's the best way to help to heal the earth? So um, if you're thinking of buying a new car, make the jump and buy an electric car. If you're thinking of heating, then think about how you do that most effectively, but small issues, just tiny ones like um, making sure the taps aren't leaking, not cleaning your teeth under running water, only only heating enough water for your coffee and not insisting upon boiling the whole kettle all the time. These are tiny things, but they add up. They add up to a huge change. We we could close two generators if we uh, all only heated the, uh, the water we need for our coffee and i know sometimes it sounds too simple and too small to do but unless we do all those things together we're not going to win this battle and we have to have a different way of thinking about our lives and that is helped by COVID. I think lots of people have begun to say to themselves much more clearly, what am I around here for? What is my life really about? And I don't mean that in a sort of pompous way. I mean, some people have been thinking of it in a very deep way and thinking of it in a way which is most remarkable. I'm, I'm fascinated to see the the, the effect upon people um, in terms of religion and such like has been really very notable. But, but even if you take it right at the other end, and that is, do I I really need all the stuff i have i haven't used any of it here i've been at home and i haven't you do i need it do i need to buy more stuff can i can i do without not because i want to lead a less full life but because i want to lead a fuller life and the other thing is i think we've learned haven't we that it's experience it's what we can do it's what we can actually experience which is more important than what we own and what we have and and i think there'll be a a, a great new way of looking at things because we have had to stop in lives which have been too busy and too noisy and too filled with uh, all sorts of things which don't matter. So I think its attitude, I think, is the most important change. Let's all of us say, when we make decisions, what's the real issue as far as the world in which we live, protecting the planet and healing it?
0: Excellent words. Thanks. Thank you so much for joining us. I, I think those are such fantastic takeaways. Think about what you can do, have a little persistence when uh, when it's not the easiest answer, but, but stick true to that real purpose. Um, and I think that will really resonate with a lot of people, both in, in their private lives, but then in the lives that they bring to their workplaces and how the entire ecosystem responds, the business ecosystem responds to that. Thank you so much for your time, and we really appreciate you joining us. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you found it worthwhile. To learn more about the issues we've just covered, please visit ashurst.com forward slash podcasts. This 30 for Net Zero 30 episode is just one small part of our continuing podcast series, ESG Matters at Ashurst. Make sure you don't miss any of our future episodes by subscribing via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. While you're there, you can also listen to our other episodes and leave a rating or review. In the meantime, thanks again for listening and goodbye for now.